and this is important because we want to point them to Christ and not to anything else. And specifically from this passage, we don't want to point them to us. We don't want anyone's faith to rely on us. We want it to rely on God and the gospel. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Serving Christ in Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jake Olson, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. The email for the show is servingchristinhealthcare at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, anything like that, you can send those there and I'd be happy to respond to those for you. We're going to continue our journey through 1 Corinthians and how we can apply the principles that God is teaching us in his word to our work and specifically to our work in healthcare. Today we are starting chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We just finished chapter 1. So we're going to continue with chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 today. So I'm going to read those. This is from the ESV, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we see in the first verse, we have Paul saying what it is that he did. And in verse 5, he says why he did it that way. So now remember, in chapter 1, we just finished talking about how worldly wisdom is foolishness to God. And that God did it this way for two reasons. The first one was that so God might be shown to be much, much greater than us. And that number two, no one would boast in the presence of God. So God wants us to know our position relative to his in our wisdom and power and all these other things. And he wants to keep us from boasting. He wants the credit to go to him where it belongs and that we wouldn't give credit to ourselves. So... Building on that, we have Paul saying now in chapter 2, verse 1, that he did not come to the Corinthian church proclaiming to them the testimony of God or the gospel with lofty speech or wisdom. So we just finished talking about wisdom and that worldly wisdom is foolishness to God. And Paul is continuing saying, when I came and preached the gospel to you guys, when I was with you in your church telling you about Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, talking to you about the gospel of God, I didn't do so with worldly wisdom and with lofty speech. Now what he's trying to get across here by saying lofty speech or wisdom is that eloquence that he tries to show off with, like the wise people of that day, they would try to use convoluted sentences and long words and try to show how smart they were. And so Paul is saying, when I came to you and preached the gospel to you, I wasn't trying to show you how smart I was. And he says in verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when Paul came to them, he didn't try to be impressive first and then share the gospel. He didn't go in wanting to build up a reputation for himself, trying to show himself to be wise and, ooh, look how smart I am, and I'm a powerful stature, and I have a figure that's intimidating, and I'm going to first make you trust me and then share the gospel so that you can trust it. No, he didn't do it that way. He didn't try to be impressive first and then share the gospel. He shared the gospel 
only and first. He decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his purpose and his main goal. That was the forefront of his thoughts was the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he can share it simply so that people can understand it and take the gospel and let the gospel do its work. So Paul wasn't trying to do the work for the gospel in, in place of the gospel. He was letting the gospel do its own work. The gospel has the power to save as the spirit works through it to open our eyes to behold Jesus Christ. So Paul isn't going in and trying to build a foundation of I'm wise, I'm powerful, I'm this or that, I'm trustworthy, I'm an imposing figure. He didn't do anything like that. He didn't do that because, as we'll see later, he didn't want people to trust in him rather than the gospel. He wanted to let the gospel do the work so that people would trust that instead of him or his wisdom. Verse 3, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. First notice that he was with them. So, First, we had what he was sharing with them, the gospel. And we're going to talk about how this applies to our work in a little bit. But first, he was sharing with them. Then he's emphasizing how I was with you guys. He was working alongside them. He was building relationships. And again, he wasn't trying to look good in front of them. He wasn't trying to build himself up to exalt himself. He resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he was exalting Christ all the while building relationships with these people and loving them and serving them. He was with them. And that's a powerful witness wherever we go is when we're with people and we're serving with them, that's a highlight to the gospel because we're serving them. We're not serving ourselves. We're serving them. And when we are empowered and strengthened by the power of the gospel, then people want to know what that gospel is all about. They don't want to know what Jake's all about when Jake comes in and he is serving them or when Paul comes in and Paul's serving them and not trying to be wise or flashy or self-exalting. He's being humble. He's serving others. And when people see that, they want to know what is making him do this. This is kind of weird. Nobody acts like that. Everyone is self-serving. So they see Paul working with them and they kind of wonder what's going on here. Then we see... At the second half of verse 3, he was with them in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So, first, we notice that they went through hard times together. Weakness and fear and trembling. He was with them. He stuck it out. He served with them. He didn't abandon ship when things got hard. He was with them in weakness and fear and trembling. And that is the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ in us, is when we're willing to stick it out in hard times for the purposes of the gospel and for the purposes of our relationships with other people. It's so easy to jump ship, to say, oh, yep, peace out, I'm out of here when things get hard. But it's those who stick it through in weakness and fear and trembling. Those are the ones that when we look at them, we know there's something different about them. Because anyone else would have left, but they stuck it through with us. They're serving with us, even though it's hard, almost unbearable. It seems like it might not end. Weakness and fear and trembling, all these terrible situations that we're in, and they're not leaving. They're sticking it with us here, and they're serving us, and they're exalting us. They're exalting the name of Jesus Christ. And now I really want to know, what is this Jesus Christ that's behind them? What is this gospel that they're talking about, that they believe in? What is it? I want to know, because they have something that no one has. 
And it's a powerful testimony when we can serve people in difficult circumstances. So, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now verse 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So, as he has said before, he's now reiterating his speech, and not just his proclamation of the gospel now, he's expanding it. So before, in verse 1, he says that he did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So the way he preached the gospel was not with long, eloquent words trying to make a show of it. That's just in his testimony about Jesus Christ. Now in verse 4, we're expanding it. We have his speech and his message. So all of his speech, all of the message that he was proclaiming, all of it, all his words, just his words in general, were not in lofty words. They were not in worldly wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So first, how does it demonstrate the spirit and power when our speech is not with eloquent words of wisdom to make a show of it, to make ourselves look wise, to build up ourselves, to make people think highly of us? How does that demonstrate the spirit and power? Well, first, we can think of the Spirit and power as being the same thing. The Spirit is the power of God. The Spirit working in us, that's God's power. So we're talking about the power of the Spirit here. How is it demonstrated in our words when we are not trying to make a show of ourselves? It's demonstrated because when people come to believe in the gospel that we are proclaiming, and when we're just proclaiming it in implausible words of wisdom in what seems foolishness, which we saw in chapter 1, that God sought fit to save those who believe through the foolishness of what we preach. So it shows the spirit of power working in us when we preach something that's foolish and people are changed by it and people come to believe in the gospel through the foolishness of our words. There's a power there. It's not our words. It's not our wisdom. But there's a power there because something's making that happen. It doesn't make sense. It's implausible. That's the spirit at work in them. And so when people come to believe in the gospel, when they come to believe in Paul and trust him and his message and his character and his words, that's a demonstration of the spirit at work. And the unity that the spirit builds in the church of God is a demonstration of that because they're not all hanging out because they want to be with the cool people. They want to hang out with the highly respected people, the rich people, this and that. No, they're hanging out together. They are unified together as our Christian believers because the Spirit is at work in us. That is how it demonstrates the Spirit of power. So why, then, does this need to happen? Why is it important that the Spirit and power are demonstrated through Paul's speech and message? Why is that important? It's important because something's going to get demonstrated. It's either the spirit and power that will get demonstrated, or it's Paul exalting himself. It's Paul's wisdom and Paul's power that will get demonstrated. It's one or the other. It's not both. Something will get demonstrated. So that's one reason why it's important, is because it's either that or something that's sinful, that pride that elevates myself, demonstrating my own power. That's the first reason why it's important to demonstrate the spirit and power. And the second reason 
is so that people can see it and be changed by it and be moved by what's happening. Because if there's no demonstration of the Spirit, then what are people going to see? All of Paul's actions here, his speech, his actions, his working with them in weakness and fear and trembling, all of these things that he's doing in humility are a demonstration of the Spirit of God at work in him. And when people see that, they say, I want that. That's what makes them think, man, there's something different about that guy. I want what he has. What does he believe? What is his hope in that he can do all this so sacrificially? So that's the second reason why it's so important. Number one is because something will get demonstrated and we don't want it to be our own pride and our own self-exaltation. And the second reason is because when we demonstrate it, people can see it. Same as when we proclaim the gospel, then people can hear it. People aren't going to hear anything that's not said. Your coworkers are not going to hear the gospel if you do not say it to them. Nor are they going to see the Spirit at work in you unless it's being demonstrated by your life. So, finally with verse 5, we have why Paul did it this way. Now, we've seen a few reasons, but this is the end cap. This is the big reason that he gives for why he did not come proclaiming to them the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we can ask, why is this important? That our faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Because if I have faith, if I believe in Jesus, what does it matter if my if that faith rests in the wisdom of men coming from them or in the power of God. And the reason why is because that situation, that scenario is not possible. If your faith rests in the wisdom of men, you do not have saving faith because only the power of God saves. In verse five, we have two alternatives. We have the wisdom of men and the power of God. Pick one. We're gonna have one or the other, but only one of them is true saving faith and that is the power of God working in us. When we say, oh, I like that guy. I like what he's saying. I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to do the things he tells me to do. We're not following Jesus. We're following a leader. And remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we talked about this. The Corinthians were boasting about which leader they were following. So here, again, we've come back full circle to something we've already talked about. They were boasting in what leader they were following. And here, Paul is saying, our faith should not rest in the wisdom of men. It shouldn't be a man that I follow. It should be Jesus that we follow. And we can see the outworking of this in our culture. When people attach themselves to a really famous speaker or preacher. Now, what happens to that person's faith when that speaker or preacher, first scenario, dies? What happens? I don't know. I don't know what happens. Do they not have anyone to follow anymore? That person is no longer there to tell them what to do. Maybe they have some books or something they can read, but that's not going to sustain them very long if they're not being taught and soaking in the Word of God. And the second scenario, what if that speaker or preacher, and by the way, this happens way more often than you think, is for many, many years, they're preaching the gospel of God, and it's all sound, it's all correct, and then one day, they say something, they throw something in there that's completely antithetical to the gospel. This happens many more times than you think. And if you just Google some instances of this happening, you'll see it. Where people that have been faithful to the message of the Bible for many years, all of a sudden something happens. 
they say something or they start to believe in something that is absolutely fundamentally incorrect to the truth of the gospel. Now, what about the people that are following that person who trust in the wisdom of that person? Their faith is going to be made shipwreck if they continue to follow in the things that this person says because they're no longer preaching the gospel. So that's one of the downfalls that can happen from doing this. Our faith should not rest in the wisdom of men because that is not faith. It should be in the power of God. And how we carry ourselves at home, in our workplaces, how we carry ourselves everywhere we go is a testimony to whether we're exalting one or the other. We're either exalting the wisdom of men in ourselves and in others or the power of God. And only one of them has the power to save. And so we want to be mindful of how we're carrying ourselves. Are we exalting ourselves in our own wisdom or are we exalting the power of God through the gospel? So now some application for our work. The first is how we share the gospel, how we share it. So we see that Paul decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't come with all these special arguments and all these fancy ways of defending why the Bible's true and this and that. Now, there's a place for apologetics. There's a place for it. But to use all of those as a means to make someone believe in the gospel, as to say, these are all the reasons why the Bible is true. I mean, look at all the archaeology. Look at this and that. They found this from the Bible. They found that. All these things are not the power of God. That's eloquent wisdom. That's the world's wisdom trying to defend the Bible by science. That's using the world's wisdom. If we think someone's going to believe in the message of the gospel because we've made a convincing argument for why it's true, that's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And that's elevating worldly wisdom rather than the power of God. So when we're preaching the gospel, when we're sharing our faith, when we're talking about Christ, when we're talking even about church or other things, the point should be that we're not trying to win them over to how smart we are first. Or how awesome we are first. First, we preach the gospel. We let the gospel do the work. The gospel has the power to save by the Spirit of God working through it, through that message. We do not. So if we're trying to get good in someone's eyes before we share the gospel, we're going at it the wrong way. We're going at it the wrong way. Relationships are important and we want to build those relationships with people. And Having solid relationships does build a good foundation for sharing the gospel with people. But if we are trying to build ourselves up so that someone thinks highly of us, so that way they'll think highly of our message, that's not how it works and God doesn't work that way. So we want to reorient how we're thinking about that. The second application we have for our work is how we work. From verse 3, Paul says again, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So first, we are working together. We're working in unity with our co-workers. That is a demonstration of the Spirit in us. If we're willing to serve others and not serve ourselves, that we're working with them, that we're part of a team, that we are serving them. Just serving other people is a powerful testimony to God. And then the second part, again, in weakness and fear and trembling. So being willing to be sincere in our actions and our words, to be willing to share our struggles, to be willing to show weakness if we have it, which we all do. Be willing to show that there's weakness there and being okay with it. Remember, we're not trying to make ourselves look powerful. 
We're not trying to make ourselves look like we have a bunch of courage and we can handle anything. No, we are okay with our weakness. And we want to serve people even in weakness and fear and hard times and difficult circumstances. If we are working side by side with people and serving them in these situations and being vulnerable when necessary and being sincere with them about our feelings and our emotions and how things are going and the fact that, yeah, this is difficult rather than putting on a stone face and pretending like nothing touches us, because that alienates people. And again, that's the opposite of what this passage is trying to teach. We're not trying to make people think highly of us first. We want to be okay being weak with people. The next one for work, how we speak. So in verse 4, Paul said, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So again, we don't want to be using our words to build ourselves up, to make ourselves look smart. We want to be okay with whatever weakness we have. And as we do those things, as we demonstrate that we don't serve in our own strength, that we're not all powerful and we can't do it all, we're showing that we're dependent on God. And when we serve even in hard circumstances, our words can testify to the fact that we're dependent on God and not on ourselves. And I think this is challenging for me. How can I speak as someone who is dependent on God? It's something to think about. There's situations that I'm sure would lend itself for me to be able to testify to the fact that I'm dependent on God. I can't do this on my own. And that's something that I think would challenge all of us to try and think about how we can give credit to the fact that we are dependent on God in our circumstances and not on ourselves. So finally, application for our work we ask the question, why? Why is this important? And it's important because we want to point them to Christ and not to anything else. And specifically from this passage, we don't want to point them to us. We don't want anyone's faith to rely on us, to rely on our teaching and what we have to say. We want it to rely on God and the gospel. What if we leave the workplace and that person is left there without us there? Is their faith going to be okay? Is their trust in God and not in us? Are they relying on him and his power and not on what we can do for them? That's what we want. We want to point them to Christ and say it's all about him. None of it is dependent on me. It's all dependent on God. And everything we do at our work and in every area of our lives, how we share the gospel, how we work with people, how we speak, all of these things can either point them to Christ or point them to ourselves. But it's so important that we point them to Christ because we do not want anyone's faith to rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thank you for listening today to Serving Christ in Healthcare. Again, the email for the show is servingchristinhealthcare at gmail.com. You can send any questions or comments there, and I'd be happy to read those for you. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless your work.